1: If you can bear to look at the Premier League table, you will see Manchester United in seventh place. Three points off Arsenal, maybe six by the time you listen to this. Three points off Spurs as well and behind West Ham, 22 points off Manchester City. You don't need reminding, but it's not what we hope for this season. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, the Series 7, Episode 29 with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. As always, we're talking about a 1-1 draw against Leicester City at Old Trafford, a game that... Could have angered you early in the season, but I think at this stage when you go in with low expectations, perhaps doesn't quite in the same way. Is it apathy or boredom or is the anger simply bubbling away, waiting to be stoked once again later on in the season? Jack, let's begin with that. We will go on to talk about Fred, who scored again. as a, as a small positive and, and the defensive problems and the general kind of feeling. Um, and, and some comments from Ralph Rennick that he made after the game, some, some quite pointed comments. We'll talk about the, the women's victory at the weekend as they chase Champions League a little more successfully than the men's team. And we'll preview Saturday's, uh, lunchtime kickoff against Everton. And then we'll answer some questions from, from patrons. But Jack, first of all, the general feeling after that game, we weren't exactly the, the most optimistic. It's not that we, were pessimistic as if we thought we were going to lose the game, but it's not like we went in on a high and had it destroyed. It, it feels pretty similar to, to how things felt last week, doesn't it?
0: The feeling is just one of a depressing familiarity, I think. That's my feeling, yeah. at least. It was, yet again, just a pretty predictable, timid, passive performance, really. I mean, it got to... Just before half time and it felt, it felt like I'd been sat down and watched absolutely nothing for 40 minutes. Yes. Yeah. The first half was it. I, I, I was about to say it flew by, but that normally has connotations that it's so great that the time flies. It didn't fly by at all. It just sort of meandered on with, I mean, and to be fair, this was Leicester too, but neither team really having any sort of presence in the game. It was just a really timid, yeah, passive performance and one that is just completely forgettable. It wasn't even, it wasn't even bad enough that it's something that would sort of bring up talking points. You know, there was just <laughs> it was we offered absolutely nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a strange feeling at halftime in the ground as well, because to be fair, given that it had been a few weeks since we played, given the feeling around the club and given that the last time we were in there was was a really disappointing night against the Atletico Madrid. It was quite a good atmosphere pre match. There was the support for Harry Maguire, which was not the entire stadium, but very large chunks of it, and and good to hear, and and a change from Spurs and Adleti when a uh, uh, probably well, yeah, a minority of United fans, but not a insignificant minority had, had booed Maguire and and booed the team, which I think is a, I mean, I disagree with it very strongly and and think it's entitlement, but it is ultimately a result of. Of kind of seven, eight, nine years of of mediocrity, or generally mediocrity, not not every season, um, but yeah, there was there was a decent atmosphere as the players came out and in the first half. But by the for the last ten minutes of the first half, suddenly it really dampened. And when people walked in at halftime into the concourses, there was this kind of seeing people you've been chatting to uh, before the game, pre match, and you're just like, well, nothing happened there. And and it really does take it out of you as a as a supporter that sense of nothingness, and it's so far the opposite of what not just Manchester United, and we can say with a a United way and and all of that, but just so far from what any football team should aspire to is that performance that that we gave in the first half.
0: Yeah, I've I've half time. I mean, I felt this even you know watching the game on TV. I'm sure it was even bigger for you in the stadium and people that have actually, you know, spent their good money on going to the game. But I just felt at half time, was like, what's, what's the point? Yeah. You know, and that's such an awful yeah. feeling to have as a fan. Like I said, in some ways, that's almost worse than, you know, putting in just a really bad performance. At least that keeps you engaged somehow because, you know, you're just, you're so sort of frustrated and angry at what, at what you're seeing. But in this, it, was, it literally just felt like the whole game was, it felt almost pointless. Yeah. You know, it was just a team that seemed to have no real urgency that's re- that's really the thing that that bugged me is that i i understand that you know teams aren't going to come out and play at their best every game that's fine no no team in the world does that even man city and liverpool don't play their best every single week I think what you want as a fan is you at least want to see some urgency. Yeah. That is the very min- minimum that you can expect from a team and there just wasn't any. Right from the first minute, it, it just everyone was very slow, very ponderous. It just felt like there was absolutely no, there was no desire to, to do anything at any sort of speed in the game, which is, again, that's just the bare minimum you can expect as a fan. I, I don't think I've ever felt quite so disconnected from a team during a game as I did at halftime of the Leicester game. It really did feel, it was probably the closest I've ever come to just turning off a United game at halftime. Yeah,
1: I saw. Because
0: it it did just, it
1: just felt completely. Yeah, I saw a lot of people comparing it to um, Louis van Gaal's United teams. And we'll talk about um, Louis a a little bit later. Um, But, yeah, it just had that feeling of apathy, and I think apathy is the worst feeling to have as a just as a human, but yeah. um, also as a as a football club. I think if you run a football club, and I, I hope they they're aware that supporters aren't aren't they, a lot of people are angry. I'll talk about that in a second, but that people are apathetic is is one of the great failings of of any football club owner or or director or anything to let to let fans of a club that kind of evokes such passion and commitment kind of become apathetic and uncaring as to what happens on the on the pitches it's a really really damning indictment of of how the club has been run and the lack of connection i think it's it's worth pointing out and we have to point out that uh, this time a year ago or about a year ago, maybe 18 months or, or 15 months even, it felt like we hadn't had this connection with the United team for years. And it's the same players, but it's just all completely fallen away. Yeah. Very, very quickly it was built on sand. In, in terms of the anger, my my brother's convinced that uh, uh, the anger is bubbling in a strong way. And I don't think I agree with him quite, as in uh, amongst match-going fans and Manchester and England-based fans who would, in theory attend a protest of the, of the like of the May, the May 2021 protest for the Liverpool game. Um, and I don't agree with him quite to the same extent, but there definitely is a, a bubbling anger that isn't quite anger yet is apathy and boredom and frustration for now. But I think over the next two weeks, unless there's some magic change, uh, I think we'll turn to anger and, and I think there will be another, uh, protest against the ownership before the the season ends, which which isn't surprising.
0: Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, quite understandably too. To be honest, with everything that we've seen, and I think it. it you said apathy is sort of the worst feeling you can have as a human, and and it is, and it it makes it even worse when you feel apathetic about something that you care so deeply about. You know, like it takes yeah. so much to make. You know, United fans generally I would say especially match going United fans are some of the best in the country and every single game you can tell how much people seriously care about every single thing that happens at this club and to have managed to turn so many fans into a state of it's not the the fans don't care at the moment but of just feeling so ambivalent towards the team that is it is difficult to do Seriously, it's, it's yeah. difficult to make that happen because there are so many people around the world that would do almost anything for this football club. Seriously. And it is astonishing that it's managed to get to a point where you're not even bad. You just completely sort of, well, we are bad, but I mean, it's not even just anger that we're bad. It's just complete sort of, I don't, I don't see, I, I don't feel engaged with this thing that yeah. I care so much about. And it's, it's, it is a, it's a horrible feeling. It really is. And it, like you mentioned as well, it's, it's doubly horrible because if you go back, you know, a year or so, or even just to the start of this season, you know, this did feel like a group of players and a football club that I felt I'd, I'd become sort of re engaged with after, you know, years under Mourinho and Van Hall where that had, had sort of drifted away. And now it, I think it's, to be honest, I think now it's not, not necessarily that the team is worse, but I think the feeling, certainly that I have and I think a lot of people have with the club is probably the worst that it's been maybe ever but for me certainly worse than under Van Gaal and Mourinho yeah
1: I, I think for me personally it isn't uh, because I think I still I still like and, and have hope for a lot of the players in the team so I, I know a lot of of match going fans who are completely fed up with Rashford for example and think the way he's playing is unforgivable, and and I don't think we'll will ever kind of come round to the feelings that they had before for him. I don't feel that because I still I still like him as a person and hope that he will find form again and believe he will find form again. But there are a lot of United fans who are who are just fed up with the team and think it's the worst it, it's ever been. Um, and, and yes, there's no there's no getting away from that. Um, should we talk about a positive in Fred?
0: Yeah, probably the one—the one positive from the game, and to be fair, been a positive for most of the season. I saw someone on my uh, on my Twitter say that Fred might be United's Player of the Year, and to be honest, he's probably right. I think yeah. he he has been he's been really good. He he is probably actually the one player that I I do have some fun watching because he plays the game with a smile on his face no matter what. And in a bit of more of an advanced role where he doesn't have as much defensive responsibility, where he can get himself into a bit of trouble. he is He's enjoyable to watch. He is one player that does bring some urgency to every single game. He doesn't shirk responsibility. And watching him play a little bit further forward, it's, it's just been good to watch. And he he was very good... Probably the standout player against Leicester and got a well deserved goal. Yeah,
1: wasn't wasn't hard to be standout. He, yeah, he's the big positive of, of the Ranjic era and possibly the only one, although I'd, I'd put Anthony Langer there as well. I can't think of many other positives, disappointingly. Yeah, the goal is good. The finish is good. Uh, he gets it over Smichael and, and doesn't give him a chance. And I, I think maybe I've, I don't want to over egg it because it, it was effectively a tap in just him against the goalkeeper but he lifts over the goalkeeper it, it's good but the takedown and the control before the little flick over the confidence to do that and, and the advanced position that he's holding that's the important stuff and the stuff that that we didn't used to see from him and I think the the fact it was him who created the chance in the first place went a little unnoticed maybe and, and I used, yeah, as as I say it's the only positive from a bad game and and not not one we should over exaggerate but yeah He's been good, and you're right. Yeah, plays with a smile on his face. You'd love to see that. It's. Um, I often think, am I a I I mean, I'm I'm not an old man, but am I fulfilling fulfilling the the role of old man yells at cloud when we talk about stuff like this? <laughs> but I don't think we are. We just spoke about like how how passionate United fans and and all football fans are about following their teams and the commitment they they give to that, and yeah, and the passion it evokes. And I think it's fair to ask to see some of that on the pitch, whether it's through bit not not you don't have to it's, I'm not saying you should see every player smiling and, and quite frankly, if players smiled after that performance, he'd be slating them and, and probably rightly so um but you want to see some evidence of that for Fred it's the way that he you can tell he's enjoying playing for other players it's the urgency with which they play and uh yeah, the, the manner in which they play. It it can be either thing. Ronaldinho you could tell from from how much he loved the game whereas Roy Keane you could tell from the urgency with which he played. He, he, you wouldn't catch him smiling on the pitch. It's different. But yeah, it's it would be nice to see that more widely across the team. And I, yeah, I do I think that is probably fair to ask. Um Leicester's goal. I I didn't think Leicester were very good, did you?
0: No, not consistently. I thought they had some they had some good moments sometimes when they did manage to to get the ball moving quickly, but that was just in spurts. I don't think they were that great over the course of the whole game.
1: Yeah. And I, what was even more frustrating from a United perspective is that we created a good few chances late on and there'd been all this apathy and then, yeah, and then you, it was, it was really cruel actually. <laughs> the last few minutes, suddenly they start trying and, and creating chances and opening Leicester up a bit and you think, right, we're, we're all set for a late winner here and, and we're all going to forget about how bad the performance has been and it's Saturday night. We're going to, head into town and enjoy it. And then just nothing happened. Um,
0: then with Arsenal and Spurs still to play and like they possibly could have dropped points. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you, you take a win in, in any way it comes. But then, yeah, they they gave us hope and then dashed it. But Leicester's goal, I, I read an interesting Sid Lowe of the Guardian, their, their Spanish, I don't know what his official title is, but they're their Spaniard man, even though he's English, did an interview with City's Laporte this week. And Laporte was saying the headline was something like uh, no footballers tell the truth, no footballers are honest because they don't, they don't want to be because they, they'll get ripped apart if they are. And uh, that was along the lines of him saying that he found it really difficult during COVID, like getting changed in his car after training and not seeing family and being in a bubble and whatever and just saying that he found it difficult and he thinks lots of other players did, but they don't say it in public. But anyway, he was, his other point was that the footballers find it really frustrating when uh people don't celebrate the good things and focus on the bad instead. And he was saying people should stop doing that. And so it made me think when I saw that Leicester goal, how much is that Leicester goal just a sensational cross from Madison, I think it is, and how much is it poor defending? And I'm gonna ban the phrase a bit of both for your answer.
0: I think it's much more great play than bad defending, to be honest. I, I think I I think I've mentioned this before. I think defending in general is such a a misunderstood thing. And just the nature of the game, of of really any game, is that the best attack will always beat the best defense, in my opinion, because attackers have the advantage of of being the first movers. As a defender, you're having to react. You know, you can anticipate, but you're still having to react because you anticipate and you're sort of guessing what's going to happen. If, If the attacker does something different, then you're screwed. So... I, that's not to say that good defences aren't, aren't useful of course they are but I do think that there are plenty of times when you you do just have to say I don't really think a defender could could have done much about that I'm not I'm not sure this goal was the case you know we could have been marking better but I think it was understandable coming you know off the because they had a corner didn't they Leicester or a free kick right directly before it we then got on a counter attack it's an unsort un, of stable unstructured piece of play I, I it. Again, you could always say that we should be marking better, but it's understandable that it, it, everything was a bit disorganized at the back and it, it was just Yeah, I think what cross. you could
1: ask for is uh, a quicker return yeah. to the structure. And I think this, it, it comes down to transitions again, doesn't it? Something Radnick's spoken about a lot, but I think also I spoke about in his time. And we're just not, I think if you watch, and especially live when I watch other teams um, like Liverpool and, and City and Atleti, um, and, and in the past, even like Barca and, and any, any good team you watch has that urgency when they lose possession or even when they have possession, but the ball's in front of them to get that team shape very quickly. I even saw this with, with Brentford when I was at the, the away game there. There's that real speed to their response. And we, we don't have that. So I think you could, you could cite that as a, as a fault. But yeah, I did. I, I was just watching the crossback this afternoon and thought, Actually, yeah, that's just that's just brilliant. It's perfect for him. And then De Gea gets ever so close, and and again, yeah, the De Gea example is great. He, yeah. I think it was a was it a save from Fafana? I think I can't remember who the header was from, but that save from De Gea yeah, was just was, yeah, it was just
0: outrageously good, isn't
1: it? Like, it's it's such good goalkeeping. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, I'm 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 watching the goal back right now, and to be honest, if I was if I was going to criticise any. Any part of the United playing this goal, it would probably be one that despite how much we just talked him up, Fred could maybe do a little <laughs> bit better and release the ball slightly earlier, yeah, but he didn't yeah. have, he didn't have any support in front of him and he was being chased by two Leicester players. And then probably Fernandez maybe being a bit stronger in the challenge because he does sort of jump over Dewsbury Hall. But I mean, then if you, if you, if anyone can, goes back and watches, if you freeze the, the, the clip when Madison picks up the ball, Hogba goes out there to mark him can't really ask him to do much more than that maybe he could stop the cross but you know he's out there he's shutting him down Madison doesn't have much space and then the reason Kolechi has so much space is because the defence has sort of pushed up so far because they thought we were about to launch launch a counter attack and Kolechi's actually five yards closer to our goal than any of our defenders are so then you've got Tellez and Varan trying to run back to, to pick up Kolechi and they basically just never get back goal side Yeah. so you, you know maybe yeah you could say they shouldn't be pushing up so quickly because you know the counter attack wasn't sort of fully formed, but at the same time you want to push up, so you're not playing everyone on side. I, there's always something that maybe you could say a defender could have done differently, but to be honest, I think it's one of those goals you just say, you know, brilliant goal. the The, the trouble is, we should have you know we should have played better and been out of sight by that point because Leicester, other than those couple of moments, didn't offer a great deal throughout the game.
1: Yeah, and then right at the end we saw a few things that. We kind of knew were problems already. Rashford not sure of himself. Yeah. The specific example I'm talking of is is the actually the Sancho chance, but where Rashford doesn't control it. And to be fair, maybe that's been a bit harsh because yeah. Sancho probably shouted, "Leave it." So maybe that's a bit harsh. But yeah, Rashford not not great again, and Sancho not taking a touch. Uh, he's done that a couple of times during the season probably a few is, is better than a, a couple and and when and the important thing is when he has taken the touch he scored like against Villarreal which was a good touch yeah and then a, a, just a brilliant finish
0: it was probably it was probably Sancho's probably Sancho's worst game for quite a few months to be honest yeah, yeah it was you know even in a lot of our bad performances even when he hasn't been at his best there's always been times where he has sort of stood out and and felt like he's the one that's going to make something happen and he, he just wasn't wasn't really at it the whole game. I, the, the something else that really stood out to me was just tactically. This didn't the setup didn't really make sense. I, I actually didn't have a problem with going in without a recognised striker and playing Fernandez as, as sort of a false nine. You no, know, I, I understood that. I, I get that. You know, sometimes you just think we should be playing a striker and just play Rashford and sort of give him a chance to get his confidence back. But I get it. He hasn't been playing well enough to sort of justify that. But what what confused and frustrated me was that if you play with a false nine, the idea is that you have a player who's not who's going to be dropping quite deep and wants to link the play and basically be the provider rather than the goal scorer. So then the way that you make up for that is that you have your wingers very high. They starting very high and wide and then making runs into the into the middle in behind the defence. And it just never ever happened. There was one time in the first half when Ilanga did make a good run in behind and Fred tried to play it through and it got uh, intercepted. I think it might have been by Johnny Evans. But other than that, there wasn't any time at all that we had a player making a, a significant run in behind the defence. Yeah. So it's just the entire game we had absolutely no one in any sort of position to receive a, a ball or a cross high up the pitch. There were so many times when Tellez or Elanga or Dalo or Sancho did get into decent positions out wide, and there was there was just no one in front of yeah. them. Yeah. It was as if we, it was as if we, we played with a false nine and didn't adapt the way that we played to that. It just it just didn't make any sense. Yeah.
1: And then when we did get the the ball in the right spaces the decision making from everyone was was off again. It was a, a time when Alanga should have shot and and had the confidence and crossed and then there was a time he should have crossed and shot and that was true for for players all over the pitch. Um yeah, yeah, all round very poor. Uh, Ralph's comments after interesting he, he doesn't seem to have much faith at the moment even, even Ralph uh, maybe it's because my viewpoint is changing of, of the team but to me when he came in he was he was confident and saying this is what you need to do this is what I'll look at etc and now it's like uh, well yeah well this has to happen maybe it will I don't know that kind of thing um, but yeah some quite pointed remarks after said he said the following, um, we spoke about that counter-attacking moment where we had, where they tackled us twice, the bit before Leicester's goal. And the same was true in a few other moments. It has to do with DNA. It is difficult to change a technically great player into an aggressive player. And we have a lot of people who are technical, which is coming back to the point we had earlier about urgency and getting back into the team shape. Which we didn't have. And he's clearly talking about. Um, he also said, this is not rocket science. When asked what United you know, need to do to be successful, said it takes right decisions. What kind of manager, what kind of players? And then in every transfer window, try to get the best. This is not rocket science. If that happens, it does not necessarily need three or four years, maybe two or three transfer windows. Then the situation could be different. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's still saying the same things as he was before, but just with, with a little less gusto. Before we talk Everton, let's talk Louis van Gaal. Very sad news on, on Sunday night. If you haven't seen, he announced on Dutch TV in an interview that he had, uh, he's been suffering from prostate cancer and has been undergoing treatment for how long he didn't say, but it seems to have been going on for quite, quite a while. He's been leaving. He, he was organising treatments to happen at night so that he could take um the Dutch national team's training sessions during the day and, and be with them and then kind of escape through the back door and, and go to hospital for his treatment so really sad and just uh, yeah it's that kind of Sunday evening news where you just think that's a real a real killer way to start the week um uh, yeah, all all wishes with Louis because as much as it didn't work out well, I mean we started this podcast during Van Gaal's United era uh, in January 2016, not long before before it ended actually, and I think we um, I don't know I, I I defended Van Gaal quite a long way. In fact, probably right until the end. I thought. I think I wouldn't have done this if I was at that point going to every game at home because the home performances were shambolic and terrible and more boring than the Leicester game we've just seen by a long way. There were people in K-Stand who didn't see a goal for three months or something. Um, But I, yeah, I really liked Van Gaal as a person, and as a character, but I also thought he was close to cracking it with United and comments since from Rooney and from other players has, Maybe indicated that he was, and he he was building something good at United, so that when he left, he hadn't done a good enough job, but he had left decent foundations for the next manager.
0: I i i almost i almost wish that Van Hol was in the kind of role that Ranjik is in, to be honest, because I think he he was building something decent. He just he wasn't. I don't want to say he wasn't good enough, but he he wasn't the right person at the right time tactically to put it all together. No, that that much was definitely clear, but. Yeah, he was probably I think he he made United likeable again uh, to be honest because he, he was just I don't know he, he had like a he had an innocence to him that I can't really explain but <laughs> like he he was just he was just quite funny and he and he was always a bit joyous and you never quite knew what was going to happen but not in a not in a Mourinho type of like, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't know if you're going to throw the team under the bus or not this week. You know, yeah. that, Van Gaal was a complete opposite to that. And it was, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know which you know crazy way you're going to defend the yeah, team. Yeah, whether or, it's, or, it, you know, what...
1: It was singing the Beatles in the press conference on his 64th birthday yeah. or singing Louis Van Gaal's army or talking about sex masochism. Yeah, or the dive. Uh, there were loads of great moments and... And he won us an FA Cup. Mike Smalling. And I, I still think that's the the turning point of where you thought of what is wrong with United support. When he, I was there that day at Wembley when we won the FA Cup, and to see a, a, an FA Cup winning manager booed at United as he was lifting the trophy was disgraceful. Yeah. And yeah, one of the really sour points, and and it really it annoys me as well because. I I always hope, and maybe this is a innocent and naive hope, but I always hope that everyone associated with Manchester United feels they've been treated well. And that's obviously not the case. There are so many examples going against that, but maybe it's not that I hope that, maybe it's that I want that. I hope that everyone associated, whether it's a, an academy player, an academy parent, uh, a first team player, women's player, a, a physio or whatever, I think the aim for a football club and especially for United with its heritage, should be that everyone leaves going, that was a great experience of my lifetime. And for Van Gaal to leave having been booed as he won us a trophy, it always leaves a, a sour uh, a sour tasting for me. Um, but yeah, he was great fun and hopefully he recovers soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The way he was treated in that... And that, to be honest, the way he was treated by the club as well in in the way that sort of...
1: Yeah, by the, the, the way that he was sacked a day out. Uh, yeah. And the rumours came out on the evening. I remember sitting, I can't remember where we were, but we were having a dinner after the, the, the cup win in, in London somewhere. I remember sitting at the table and just checking my phone and seeing on Twitter, our Van Gaal sacked Mourinho coming in. I just thought the, yeah, the lack yeah. of class and Yeah so poor for, for for the club to let a leak like that to go out on the evening of an FA Cup final victory when Van Gaal still would have been with the players or with the whatever the players would have been reading that in the dressing room it's so poor and yeah, yeah 100%. a real stain upon, upon the last few years of the club but Van Hal, yeah is carrying on as Netherlands manager I can't remember We, have I mean we could speak about the World Cup draw very quickly bit of a boring one for, for England but for you uh, as a Chicago based <laughs> Englishman, I guess will have a uh, different connotations.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is from a footballing perspective, it was not the most exciting draw. Yeah, but yeah, personally, I, I was very excited by it because it's going to be a good occasion. It made me even even more sad that it's not going to be a summer World Cup, though. I've got to say, yeah, yeah, it is. It's not like to me the the World Cup or the Euros. It's all about you know sitting in a beer garden with your mates, watching on a giant screen you know, and it, everything is in the sun. It's enjoyable. You can just watch everything outside. It's not is it does make me a little sad that it's going to be end of November. It's gonna not be just cold, a little sad. It's, whatever, it's ruined but, it.
1: I mean, this yeah. is the thing we don't talk about and it's not, I mean, I, I I, I feel like maybe we have to say it, it, it should never be hosted in guitar for its human rights yeah. record alone. But um, we, I feel like people probably know our opinions on this, so that don't need us to state them again. But uh, as an extra point, just the, the impractical ca- impracticability of it all means it shouldn't be hosted there anyway. And having it in the winter is ridiculous. And I was reading a, uh, uh, an article the other day that said even Qatari officials didn't think FIFA would change it to the winter because it was so ridiculous, and, and yet they did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be great to watch, especially I imagine. Because uh, tell me a little bit about how, how would like US fans watch the World Cup in uh, in comparison to kind of pub gardens in England.
0: I mean, pub pub gardens and such definitely aren't. As, as easy and common to find over here I know that for the Euros um, soldier field where the Chicago Bears and Chicago Fire play had a big sort of fan zone going on that's where I watched the quarterfinal for that so it'd be things like that and then it'd probably just be sports bars mainly um, to be fair a lot of them inside but is is definitely a different experience. The one the one good thing about the World Cup being in the winter, specifically for this England against the US game, no no other game is that it will actually happen on Black Friday now, the day after Thanksgiving. So, yeah. it would almost definitely be like the most watched football game in in American history. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I saw um, I can't remember who it was, an American journalist before before the draw, tweeting saying manifesting my hopes for an England USA Thanksgiving Day match, which it could have been if England had been if it'd been in a different group. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: To to be honest, I, I actually think in terms of like TV ratings, like viewership, it probably actually would have been worse if it was on Thanksgiving yeah. because Thanksgiving American football is such a it's such a huge deal. The NFL yeah, has like three true. games on Thanksgiving Day, so it's probably better actually that it was on Black Friday. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is just quite a boring group yeah. in the USA Iran and then you know Wales Scotland, Well think, yeah cuz Wales
1: Scotland Ukraine. or Ukraine I especially Wales or Scotland I'd lo- I love having them when we're in the Euros groups as we've had for as we had last year with Scotland and then Wales 2016 but in 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 the World Cup you want to draw more like Van Haal's Netherlands have which is Qatar Ecuador Senegal Netherlands that gives you some excitement of getting to play Senegal, who are, are not only a great team, but also just a different culture and, and getting to hear about their team and how they've come here. Same with Ecuador, who are like a really pacey, young, exciting team and Qatar as well. Um, uh, still a little bit exciting to play someone else. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, next game for United is Everton, uh, who are terrible at the moment, who are truly, truly awful, which means will almost certainly be the, the team to give them a win, give the worst Everton side of our lifetimes a win. Uh, I, there's not so much to say, so we just want to see something better, don't we?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is it really. It, it Again, another sort of uninspiring fixture, I guess, as they all probably feel like at the moment, to be honest, but yeah, just, I just want to see something better. That that That's really it. You know, like, I want to say I, I want all these, you know, improvements from players and these tactical changes but it it all feels a bit moot at this point it just I just want to see something that at least is is entertaining that's that's really all I want from the game
1: yeah Uh, other than that for the week there's well there's Champions League this week uh, which unfortunately we're not in so that'll be something decent to watch Chelsea Real Madrid should be good Villarreal Bayern should be a spanking for Bayern Munich but it's kind of the game away at Villarreal maybe maybe Villarreal will get something then Liverpool play Benfica and and City play Letty. the women don't have a a game this week they go to uh, the women's international break they beat Brighton 1-0 on Sunday at Lee Sports Village Uh, a tight game in the end one which the team kind of not the team but pundits hoped United women would like build their goal difference because the end of the season is going to be really tight United are in third three points ahead of City who are have played a game less uh, so if City win their game in hand it will be level on points and if City win by three goals then it will be exactly the same goal difference so it's going to be very tight with three games left for United to play but uh, yeah a good win at least three points and and the aim now is to just win the remaining three games unfortunately the last one of the season is away at Chelsea uh, who will be champions probably although they're in their own title race against Arsenal um, anything else to say before we wrap up we're going to go to Patreon questions uh, where we'll talk about De Gea we'll talk about top four the approach for the rest of the season and we will talk about a new manager anything else Jack
0: no not, not really not much not much to say unfortunately
1: no no all good okay for more from us throughout the week you know where to find us on Twitter otherwise we'll speak to you next week have a good one goodbye